people called me Saul once, a Hebrew of Hebrews, faultless in the eyes of the law. But I watched the rebellion growing, and like a fire it spread. Claims of a Messiah and the resurrection, the Son of God they declared, and for that I hunted them. My will was bent on destruction. But on the road to ruin, my world was torn apart. A voice called my name, and the scales fell from my eyes. The fire that I sought to extinguish was now consuming and refining me. People called me Saul once, but that was another life, for I am a new creation. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And neither death nor life, not even the powers of hell, will separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to FCC. We are... Super glad you are here. My name is Tyson Hodge, and um, my wife and family and I have been coming here for about six years. Uh, my wife Bethany, right here. Um, do you know she makes my lunch every day for work? It's 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 so nice. She literally sustains me through the day. She's wonderful. Uh, Scott is on vacation. He's coming back today, so he asked me to preach. And I am talking about Acts chapter 9. And if you were here last week, then you might remember that last week we talked about Acts chapter 9. And you might be, why are you doing this? Did Chris miss some things? No, no, he did fine. Um, What's really cool about the Bible is that two people can come to the same chapter, the same passage, and God can show them very uh, specific things that are different and complementary. And that's what he's done. Chris talked about Ananias. I'm going to be talking about Paul, and uh, so in just a minute, our Bible concessions people will be walking down. Please raise your hand to grab a Bible if you need one, and we can all turn to Acts chapter 9. We want to be a place at FCC where we are in the Word of God and that we let it be our authority. Uh, while you are turning and opening your Bible, wanted to remind you that today we have our family circus celebration right after service out here in the parking lot. It's going to be a fun time for everybody. We'll have lots of fun and games. We'll have food trucks. There'll be some food uh, provided by the church as well. And then Scott, when he is preaching next week, he's going to be starting a new, uh, a new sermon series, What Happy Couples Know. And as you heard, my wife and I are pretty happy with the lunch thing. So <laughs> we're good. No, we'll be there. So... Open your Bible with me. Let's read the first part of Acts chapter 9 together. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Or in other words, don't do anything until I tell you. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Let me pray for us, and then we'll keep digging. God, I am thankful for this opportunity to be here to share what you have taught me. I pray for all of us that you would open our hearts, open our minds, our ears, so that you can transform us, that you can change us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love for us. Amen. So, before we talk about Paul, I want to talk about my cameras. I was in high school and I decided I wanted to learn photography. And so, I got a camera. This was my first camera. It is a KS Super 2. Super 2, not 1. And it was... It had nothing special. It was manual, and that was that was it. Like I, I think it metered light automatically, but everything else I did myself. So I really learned how to do photography with this camera, and um, I was also a big skateboarder back then. That'll come in later. And so one of my favorite m- memories about this camera, my first camera, is I was on my skateboard. We were cruising around. We, me and my camera, in Johnson City taking pictures of whatever I wanted and being creative. And I saw a bank and I thought, I don't have a picture of a bank. So I cruised over. I'm taking pictures of this bank and the tellers are acting really weird. (laughs) I thought, whatever. I'll just keep taking pictures of this bank. And then the police showed up. (laughs) But as a skater, I know what you do when police show up because I've been asked to leave many, t- many times, uh, different places. So y- you just act cool. The police show up. They come and talk to you. You're polite. You do whatever they say. So the police officer comes up and he says, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, I'm taking pictures of a bank. <laughs> and he says, Why are you taking pictures of a bank? And I said, Because I don't have a picture of a bank. <laughs> and he said, Well... You're really not supposed to take pictures of banks because the staff think you're casing the joint. And I said, okay, that's fine. I, I'm sorry, I'll leave. So luckily he didn't take my camera. He didn't take, you know, rip my film out or anything like that. And I was able to break into the safe a little later. <laughs> so that's my favorite memory with that camera there. But as you can see, this camera has, has no lens. It's, it's supposed to have a lens. Every camera does. Even if it's a simple box camera and you poke a hole in it, a pinhole lens, it's got to have a lens or it doesn't work. If I take a picture with that, it would just be a white blur or a red blur or whatever the predominant color is in the room. It would just be a blur. Useless. This camera, um, I, I have several lenses to choose from, so I wanted to show them to you. We've got, we've got this lens that's on my Minolta X700. I mean, this is a big lens. It's got a big zoom. This is impressive. 
I like this one. I could use my lens from my Minolta X-T5. It's simple, but it's high quality. I don't have a zoom, but things come out clear. and They're not a blurry mess. And then um, I have, ooh, this one is terrible. It is a plastic lens, and it has lots of flaws, but it, they're trendy flaws. They're cool flaws. It lets in light when you, when you don't want it, uh, creates sunbursts and different things, and terrible lens, but very trendy. Then we have, uh, I've got this 8mm camera, little tiny lens. I don't want to use that one. That's and then I've got this one. I can't use that lens either, but I wanted to show you my cool camera. <laughs> uh, and then I've got this one. It's a little unimpressive, puny one. We're just going to pass on that one. This one is the one I'm going to be using, the big impressive one. So we're going to take it off of there and slide it on here. Hold on. Well, it works. It doesn't, it doesn't really want to mount. But if I hold it there, I can see you guys. There you are. Okay, hold on. I thought this might happen. So I brought this. <laughs> oh, I need a longer piece of meat. Okay. This didn't work well for service. Let's see if I can. All right, so if I put it here, maybe wrap it around. Oh. We'll make it work. Be patient. All right. We did it. We made the big, impressive lens work. And that's the one I wanted anyway from the very beginning. Um, this lens and camera here, this is Paul. This is Paul that we're reading about right now. And... This used to be me. Sometimes it still is me. And it used to be you. Sometimes it is you. Might be you right now. See, this lens, just like it's useless without, I'm sorry, this camera is useless without a lens. Humans are useless without a worldview. We all have a worldview. We all have ways that we perceive the world around us. And whether you know it or not, since you were a baby, you've been building your worldview. And you have this framework in your mind of how the world works, how it's supposed to work anyway, how you want it to work, lots of all these different things. And then we take all of our experiences that we take in through our five senses and we try to puzzle it in and just understand what's happening around us. And so that's what a lens kind of does for a camera. It helps it see the world. Worldviews are built, like I said, from day one, when you're born. And actually, probably before then. There's probably a little bit of worldview building in the womb. And then the child is born, and the worldview just continues to be built and developed like the small child who thinks the world is his playground. And he can do whatever and play with whatever he can grab and touch. And so he grabs the cat by the tail and starts swinging it around. And then the cat says, I don't like that, and lets him know with a quick swipe. And then that child rebuilds his worldview, at least the part about cats. <laughs> Worldviews can be changed by us on purpose. 
we have a friend, and that friend went through this phase where she was interested in a lot of different religions and philosophies and just looking at what they offered. And she would literally tell us, you know, I really like X, Y, Z about this religion. I really like that. I believe that's true. And so she was just building her worldview on what she liked. Uh, We can also have our worldviews changed by others. Education is a great example of this. Whether teachers are purposeful or not, in changing and adjusting and building worldviews. That's exactly what they're doing. The goal of education is to help us better understand the world, more accurately understand the world. Worldviews can are built, can be changed by us, changed by others, and worldviews can also be shaken and shattered. I had an experience where uh, it was my freshman year in college, at East Tennessee State University and I was sitting down talking with a friend of a friend. There's my first friend. There's that friend. See him right here? So I come over here to my... And so talking to my friend of a friend, uh, his name is Robert and we're chatting and he finds out that I'm a Christian and he is an atheist. So he decides to start asking some very pointed questions about my faith, about God, about God's character and some very hard questions I did not have the answers for. And that shook me hard. Um, It shook me not just for that afternoon or for that day. It shook me for a while. Um, Can you think of an experience where you've had something like that happen? Maybe not necessarily with your view of God, but maybe your family or work or whatever, just where you're shaken. That is what Paul is dealing with right now. So before we look at the events of Paul's worldview changing, let's look at Paul's worldview and what it is before the change. So he's got three main lenses that he loves to use to build his worldview. The first one is a zealous love of God's laws. So let's look at Philippians 3, 5, and 6. Paul talks about this a little bit himself. Philippians 5, I'm sorry, 3, 5, and 6. Talking about himself, he says, Circumcised on the eighth day, which was the law of God, as we're just pointing out, since I was eight days old, I was following the law of God. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, which is a very extremely high standard. It goes up and beyond the law of God. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he had this first lens of a zealous love of God that that built his pride, built his sense of self-righteousness. So we're going to call this lens the lens of I am awesome. Paul, anyway. The second lens he uses is a zealous love of Jewish traditions, politics, the whole system. And he talks about that a little bit over in Galatians. So let's go to Galatians chapter 1, 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism 
beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So this lens really supports, backs up the first lens, but with this lens, it focuses a little different. It focuses on how not awesome everybody else is. He has a a view of Judaism and the Jews that far surpasses everybody else in the world. So first lens, I am really awesome. Second lens, you guys are not really awesome. Lens number three that he uses is his education and life experience. He was a Roman citizen, which gave him lots of freedoms, lots of uh, opportunities. He had a world-class education. His parents sent him to a rabbi named Gamaliel, which I wasn't there, but apparently he was a really famous one and was like top-notch education for Jews right there. And he also was from Tarsus, which was a city central with... uh, of, of trade, culture, lots of things. So he was exposed to a lot of philosophy, a lot of literature of the day. And he, he shows that in his other letters he writes in the Bible. So this lens supports the first two lenses. First one, I am awesome. Second, you're not as awesome. Third lens, see, I told you, I'm really awesome. <laughs> so to summarize Paul's worldview, after being given a broad exposure to the world, a solid world-class education, Paul was convinced that Judaism and its traditions were the truth of truth. And he was ready to kill to back that up. So now that we kind of have an idea of what he believed and what his worldview was, let's jump back in. Let's see this worldview changing moment. Let's go to Acts, back to Acts 9, 1. And we're going to read to 5. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus. Let me just pause there for a minute, put a little context around this letters. Our American understanding, which has a great democracy, separation of church and state, we don't, I mean, what is a letter? I mean, I write my friend a letter to say hi. So what does this letter say? You come back to Jerusalem now so we can put you in jail, okay? No one's going to listen to that. I mean, no American. But what we have to realize is in this culture and time, there was no separation of church and state. The temple was the law. The synagogue was the authority. Outside of Rome being over that, but as long as they were paying their taxes, and as long as they weren't rioting, Rome just let them rule themselves. Just keep giving us money. You're fine. So these were more like warrants for arrest is what he was taking with him. And there was people going with him to help enforce these letters. So let's keep going. And asking him for letters, warrants for arrest, to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? This has always been such a strange question to me because, Paul, your answer is in your question. It's the Lord. (laughs) But what he's doing, he's, he's asking the correct question here. He's trying to find out, who is this Lord? 
we can kind of rephrase the question. Deity, who are you? Because I'm on God's team, killing people for God, whom God wants killed. So who are you? And Jesus is about to shake and shatter a bit of his worldview here. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And so Jesus takes his knife and cuts off this faulty lens of Paul's. Get rid of that lens. Terrible lens. Full of flaws. No, that was that one. That one's full of flaws. Let's keep going from verse 5. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Or don't do anything until they tell you. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So this lens has been removed. Paul's sitting in darkness, literal darkness, for three days straight because he can't see. He's not eating or drinking. He doesn't have any distractions. He is given this opportunity for three days of self-evaluation. And, I mean, you can just imagine what's going through his head. He's thinking, everything I've believed up to this point, everything that I've learned, everything that I've taught, is it all in vain? He's thinking about all the things he's done to the believers and persecution, the murder, the false imprisonment, ripping families apart. Most of the time in these kind of situations, there's torture involved. So we can only assume. Maybe I shouldn't assume. Well, let's go ahead and assume. So... Later on, Paul is talking about being the chief of, of sinners. And I used to think that was a sort of like humble brag, you know, like he's kind of bragging about how terrible he used to be. But really, I think he's thinking about what he was doing at this moment. All the terrible things he did to people in the name of God. So he's got three days to evaluate, and he's going through all this stuff in his head. He's thinking, what, what's his destination now? He thought for sure he had it figured out. He was not going to hell. He was going to heaven because he had God's approval, and all that is gone. He has no idea if he's going to hell or not. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my clout in the marketplace? Am I going to lose my reputation? Am I going to lose my family? Am I going to lose my fancy house, my fancy chariots, my fancy horses? All of it's in the air. He has no idea what's going to happen. His life is upside down right now. His purpose in life, up to this point, it was to be a perfect, self-righteous follower of God. That is all in the air. So he's got three choices, as I see it. He can either be angry with God for not fitting in the worldview he has spent his life building. And he can just reject God altogether. He can be, pretend this little weird thing didn't happen, tell himself he shouldn't have eaten those mushrooms along the way because you know, they might have been hungry or whatever. 
but like that was just some weird vision I had. Uh, yeah, I'm blind, but I'll go back and get back into my pharisaical life being blind, but I, at least I wouldn't lose everything. Or he can see, allow God to bring him through this very painful, humiliating, shameful worldview change. What will he choose? Let's find out. As we learned last week from Chris, Ananias was given a vision by God to come find Paul, give him his vision back. So we're going to skip over that part and jump to verse 18. At this point, Ananias has restored his vision. Well, he's about to anyway. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So we can see Paul picks C. We can see Paul. (laughs) I didn't mean to do that. Paul picks C. Good choice, Paul. He allows the process to happen. His image of God is shattered. His image of himself, shattered. His image of others, shattered, changed. God rebuilds it all with the truth. God rebuilds it with the lens of the gospel. So, the gospel is understanding that I am a terrible sinner, that I cannot save myself. There is nothing that I can do. That Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the grave to not save only me, but to save the entire world. Not just the righteous, not the self-righteous, but everyone who would put their trust and faith in him. So when we put on this lens, this lens of the gospel, then the same thing happens to us that happened to Paul. Uh, We see God as he truly is. We see ourselves as we truly are. We see others as they truly are. So valuable that the King of Kings came and died on the cross for them. They're not Gentile dogs. They're not under us. You know, this is Paul thinking, of course. I don't call Gentile Gentile dogs. So this is the gospel lens, not the lens of self-righteousness or traditions and politics or of education or wealth or fame, but the simple gospel lens. So what lens are you using? Are you using the gospel lens to see others? Are you using the gospel lens to see yourself? We have the same three choices that Paul did whenever we come to these moments of crisis in our worldview, um, which oftentimes are brought to us by God. We feel like a terrible thing going on in our life, losing a job or losing family members or the tough talk that I had with my friend that this is a terrible thing. I need to avoid it. I need to avoid it. Go the other way. But it's an opportunity for God to to refine us. And so we have the same choices as Paul. When I was talking with my friend Robert, the atheist, who shook me with his questions, I could have either A, been angry that God was not fitting my worldview that I had and just walked off like he did. That's the choice he made with his faith. I could have B, pretended this whole talk with him didn't happen and went, plugged back into life, gone to church, did all the normal things I've been doing, 
But those questions would eventually have hollowed me out. And eventually, I would have been a hollow Christian, useless for the kingdom, only coming to church for, I don't know, the reputation, the whatever you come to church for when you're not coming authentically. Or I could have seen, focused on God, pursuing Him, and been refined. And I thank God He pushed me to that choice. And so I didn't have those answers for those hard questions Robert gave me. But I went to find them. And I dug into the Word of God. And I got discipleship from mentors. And you know, God didn't give me the answer to these questions quickly. They came slowly. And I've thought about that. Why, why didn't God just give someone in my life to come up and be like, oh, well, don't worry about those questions. Here's the answer for A and the answer for B and C or a book to do the same thing. And I think it's because at this point in my life, I had known God for quite a while. And so it was almost like he was saying, what are you going to do? Are you going to trust me that I'm good? Are you going to trust my character that I've proven to you over and over? Or are you going to allow one conversation with, a question, uh, with tough questions to just crumble things for you? And so he didn't answer my questions right away, but slowly he did. And slowly, my worldview was made stronger, refined, and made more accurate. And so when we have a crisis of worldview, we don't have to be afraid of it and run the other way. We need to focus on God and realize this is opportunity for me to believe the truth and realize what the truth is and have God align us into his worldview using his lens, the lens of the gospel. We don't get to pick truth and reality. It is what God has made it to be. Are you using the lens God designed for it? Does your lens help you see how awesome God is? Or does your lens help you see how awesome you are? Let's jump back in real quick. Acts 9, 19. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Paul's worldview is no longer about how awesome he is and how not awesome you are. Everybody else. He now sees and proclaims how awesome God is. Let me pray for us in closing. God, I'm thankful for your desire for us to grow, to be refined. I pray that you would help us all to have the right lenses so that we can have a worldview that is 
as similar to yours as possible. Refine us, Lord. I ask that you, as we leave here, that we would look for opportunities to rely on you, not giving up when we have crisis of faith, but that we would keep our focus on you, pursue you, and most of all, see, work towards seeing you, ourselves, and others with truth. Thank you, God, for your love. Amen.